Now, on this Invest Talk podcast, Justin Klein listens to your questions. Starting to learn more about value stocks rather than growth stocks. You guys are saving me a, a lot of money. And provides unbiased answers. All right. Well, you're looking at historical blue chip names, and they've endured. Their brands have endured. Invest Talk. Over 42 million downloads and counting. Across America and around the world, your participation makes it unique. 888-99-CHART. At a time when investors are confronted with market volatility and a variety of challenges fueled by the uncertainty of inflation, unsettled geopolitical tensions, and economic pressures, Justin Klein and Steve Peasley stand ready to take your finance and investment questions and share their unbiased answers. This is Invest Talk, independent thinking, shared success. Invest Talk is made possible by KPP Financial, a registered investment advisor firm serving clients throughout the United States. The clarity for your path forward starts now. Here is KPP Chief Executive Officer, Financial Advisor, Justin Klein. Good afternoon, fellow investors, and welcome back to Invest Talk. This is our June 22nd, 2022 edition. I'm Justin Klein, and I'm excited for this hour with you to answer your finance and investment questions. And as always, my goal is to give you straight and unbiased answers, no hidden agenda. I'm just here for your questions and your questions drive the direction of this show. So I can speak about whatever's on my mind, but that's not what is important here. It's addressing your goals and your concerns and your questions. And that's ultimately why we do the show. And I am also here to help you navigate today's very different investing situation, higher inflation, different set of companies that are benefiting from the economic backdrop. And that means some companies, many companies that you're used to succeeding aren't uh, succeeding quite as well. And it's up to you to develop a strategy and a mindset. That's what I'm here to help you with both of those things to succeed in this environment. And volatility continues to reign supreme. And that also means that the pitfalls that many investors make are come to fruition in these type of environments. When things are going well, you kind of throw money at almost anything and it's going to go up. Well, when you have a, a rocky environment, you have stagflation, you have potential recession, all of those things can unearth bad investments. And usually those marginal bad investments, those are the ones that fall the most. Seeing that with crypto, you're seeing that with a lot of the money losing uh, companies that are out there, those tend to fall the quickest and the hardest. And hopefully you can avoid those. And that's what we're here to help you do is avoid those pitfalls and capitalize on the opportunities that do present themselves when, you know, funds get liquidated, margin calls, etc. 
everything kind of sells off. And oftentimes there's babies being thrown out with the bathwater. So you want to be prepared for those opportunities as well. So I invite your phone calls and questions to our 24-hour listener line, 888 chart either live, 4 to 5 Pacific time, or after hours. Either way, that number never changes. So let's get right to our first listener question now. Hi, Stephen Justin. This is Art from Tucson calling with another uh, small cap stock idea. Um, this one looks pretty good to me, but always looking for your insights. And uh, thank you guys for what you do. I always learn something even after investigating these companies. This one is ArcBest Corp, A-R-C-B. It's a road and rail company. And it looks like it's good value here, but definitely would like your opinion on it. And I'll, I'll listen on the podcast. Thank you. All right, looking at Arc Best Corporation. This is small cap name, about $1.6 billion market cap. And they're in the logistics business. Operates three business segments, asset-based, Arc Best, and Fleet, uh, FleetNet. And basically, they are in the logistics business. And certainly, with the cost of shipping being so high, they've earned an outsized return. 2019, they only made $2.87. That was down from nearly $4 a share in 2018. In 2020, they rebounded $3.29 that year. But last year, $8.40, expected to make $13.67 this year. Problem is, the cost of freight, which I'm going to get to a little later in the show, is actually falling. And that's what you're seeing earnings expectations for next year go down and it's supposed to be down 12% to $11.97. Now, if they can continue to make $12, $13 a share like projected for this year and next year, uh, the stock is very, very cheap. The problem is, is that it's unlikely to sustain that level of profitability over the long term. And they're probably going to go back to making two, three, four bucks a share like they were pre-pandemic at some point. The question is, what is that arc? Get it? Arc best. What is that arc towards that mean reversion? And where does it ultimately level out at? And I don't think it's going to level out into double digits and earnings. Uh, you're already seeing, like I said, those, those uh, shipping rates come down. And so you combine that with the fact that the chart is now in a legitimate downtrend. It's failing to really gain any steam on rallies and looks to be ready to break down to the next level, probably headed at least to the $50 level. Now it's at 67.38, down 46% already from its 52-week high. And I just don't like the technicals. I don't like the trend of their earnings and shipping rates. So I'm passing on this uh, because I don't even think normal trend earnings of three, four dollars a share uh, makes this an attractive bet. So uh, certainly a, a solid company to keep on your watch list. Long term, they're profitable. They have cash flow, uh, but just not going to sustain this level of profitability. And that's why I'm passing on ArcBest. Thanks for the call. Now, my focus point today is based on this question. Is the bear market a good thing for investors? Those who are new to investing could benefit by buying stocks cheap, uh, but you have to be ready to hold for the long term because you never know uh, where that exact bottom is. So we're going to just kind of discuss why oftentimes people make mistakes in bear markets by not taking advantage of opportunity, but also not understanding the overall risks. So we're going to look at that. I also want to touch, like I said, on shipping rates and 
uh, where the trends are uh, and what that means for uh, the broader economy, as well as those shipping and logistics companies. And then next, I want to talk about the crypto markets and why what is happening now is, is just frankly inevitable and is probably not going to turn around anytime soon and what history can tell us about what's happening in the space. And then lastly, high gas prices. Is it hitting demand yet? We're going to discuss that. Now let's look at the market today. We had the S&P that was down about five points, really a, a, a choppy pause day after yesterday's uh, oversold rally, right? Uh, now we did close kind of the, the middle part of the range today. So, you know, going into tomorrow uh, a bit neutral. And uh, what was interesting today was the tenure that pulled back a bit down 15 basis points. So uh, Jerome Powell was speaking and uh, he, his, his rhetoric was a little less hawkish, I think, than the market um, has been getting used to. And you're starting to see a bit of pullback in rates. I do think we're more into uh, major resistance on rates. And I also, I also see the economic data coming in over the next few months as showing that their tightening policy is having a, a strong impact. And ultimately, what's odd here, not odd, kind of been used to this over the past decade is that bad news is good news because bad news means that the Fed is going to be less hawkish uh, when it comes to policy. And so bad economic news, I think, is actually bullish for the market as a whole. Uh, and, and I think that's what the market's going to be watching for uh, for, the, for the balance of the week. When it comes to the economic calendar, you didn't have a whole lot today. Uh, let me take a look at the calendar real quick. There we go. You didn't have a whole lot today domestically, but tomorrow you get uh, an employment insurance claims, you have current account balance, you also have natural gas storage, and then you have the Kansas City Federal, uh, Kansas City Fed Manufacturing Index. Um, that's expected tomorrow, so there'll be a good insight into how the strong dollar is impacting the manufacturing market, as well as the oversupply of inventory that companies like Target and Walmart have talked about within their stores. And then Friday, we get new single family homes uh, in the, and consumer sentiment index. And those are going to be big factors into understanding how higher interest rates have impacted the consumer on, uh, you know, sentiment wise, as well as buying a home. So those are the things that are on the docket for this week economically, but we're moving into a break. Um, my invest talk phone lines are open for you. So give me a call at 888-99-CHART. Why do listener questions make Invest Talk better? Which of these would you recommend? Because each caller presents fresh questions in their voice. I was curious if you still think aluminum has a ways to go from here. When do I know the right time to take profits? Should I be looking for an exit? Should I be holding here? And listeners instinctively realize that Invest Talk uniquely offers a welcome dose of investing satisfaction. I think you have a terrific show, and I've learned a whole lot. Hey guys, love your show. Uh, I've been listening for several years now, and I've 
Learned a lot. Justin Klein and Steve Peasley understand what investors need and want. I would look at it from a tax perspective. If there's no tax implications, move on, find better ways to use that money. I'm going with the odds. I think a half position now would at least get you in it and get you watching it so you won't lose track of it. Don't forget to call Investor. 888-99-CHART. One of the most rewarding things I do each weekday is host the Invest Talk podcast. I truly enjoy helping investors, and I know that every question counts and every answer I provide will be unbiased. You, the caller, get to chart the course for each Invest Talk podcast. Call with your questions anytime, day or night, 888 99Chart. Hi, Justin or Steve. I wanted to get your opinion on Chenier Energy, ticker symbol LNG. I don't think they're making money yet, but they should be by the end of the year and increasing earnings for the next two years. They also recently signed a 15-year deal with Econor, so they should have some lock-in revenue for the future. You can let me know your thoughts and if I'm too late to the party or if you think it will break out and still has room to grow. I do believe in the sector as a whole. Thank you for all of your input and your time and your help. All right, this is Chenier Energy, and this is a company for a long period of time was losing money and they were losing money. This is your, 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 your classic, Hey, we're investing for growth for the future. And yes, we're burning capital now, but it'll pay off in the future with big earnings and big uh, cash flow. And uh, Chenier, uh, what they do is they operate LNG export facilities, mainly in Texas. And they, they thrive in this environment, right? They, this was built for this, uh, this environment where uh, the difference between the cost of natural gas here in the US is a lot lower than the cost of natural gas in Europe and around the world now because of what's happening in Ukraine and the cutting off of, of Russia and, and the like. So the issue though is that is too much of this priced in and Will that difference between the cost of LNG here and abroad remain a gulf? And so far, you've actually seen the opposite. It's actually shrunk because the cost domestically has gone up. We had $9 recently per BTU on a natural gas, which is a multi-decade high. Now, that has pulled back some. But the question for me is politically. Are we going to continue a, is this administration continue to allow the export of natural gas oil to continue when prices at the pump are, you know, very high when uh, your electric bills going up, they're trying to fight inflation. And typically in times like this, protectionist policies went out. Now, this is the administration that's been kind of slow to do a whole lot, you know, kind of unilaterally. Biden's, he's kind of a, a centrist uh, overall. Uh, if you look at history of his of his, his voting uh, and, you know, you could argue whether he's moved left or right or whatever, but he, he kind of slow walks a lot of decisions. Um, but the question is, for me, is will we remain... Will, we, will, will they ever lift the ban on exports? 
um, or, or reinstitute, excuse me, the ban on exports of oil and natural gas to protect U.S. citizens. And I think there's a good chance of that. And to me, that's a big risk here with uh, with Chenier is if that happens, that would destroy Chenier's and, uh, earnings overnight, right? Because they can't export their LNG if that uh, comes to pass. So I just think there's a lot of political risk here. Uh, you know, I still I still like the play, at least uh, near term, but I don't love it because of that political risk, because at any given time, the administration can just say, hey, we want our energy prices here lower. Remember, this: most politicians, they manage the optics, and this would be good optics to do that. And I, I do kind of expect that at some point between now and the end of the Biden administration. Now, as the Invest Talk Wednesday continues, I'm Justin Klein. I'm ready to take your questions now at 888 chart. The stock market is volatile. It's constantly changing. So how are you positioned? Is your portfolio properly balanced or are you taking unnecessary risks? You can get guidance anytime for free if you go to investtalk.com and take the brief Riskalyze quiz. Let's go talk to David in Cleveland looking at ABR, which is Arbor Realty Trust. Do you own it or looking to buy it? I own it already, and it's recently taken um, a little dip here. It's fallen a little bit, and I was wondering if you think it would be a good time to buy more or what you thought about REITs in general in the uh, current atmosphere. Well, REITs typically do okay in an inflationary environment. Remember, there's five sectors that typically do well. You have energy and basic materials as top of the list, easily by far. Then you have three others that tend to do fairly well, but not amazing. And that would be REITs, real, anything you know, real estate related, uh, because just inflation in the economy overall, then you have industrials and you have financial services. And REITs are certainly in that space. Now, if they have a lot of leverage and they do some uh, kind of risky things, that can be pretty bad. Uh, but if they're fairly safe in their investments and they're conservative, uh, they can hold up very well. Problem is ABR, Arbor Realty Trust, is the former, which is they're, they uh, lend on real estate related uh, investments, bridge loans, mezzanine loans, uh, et cetera, mainly in the commercial real estate space uh, and the multifamily space. And both of those segments are struggling. Um, and so uh, this is a company that historically has been just issuing more and more shares to pay out the dividend. So the dividend has not been sustainable. Um, and remember in 08, from 2006, they were paying 72 cents per share and that fell all the way down to seven cents per share. So they eliminated, and that was 2012. So from 2006, to 2012, those six years, the dividend payout fell 90%. Okay. So in tough times, they don't do very well. So I would not be buying more. In fact, I'd be looking to find the place to exit this position. Okay, so if I was still up now, you think I should get out? Yeah, I mean, this is, uh, you know, is this a great place to get out? You got a little bounce here over the last few days. You know, I do think it could bounce maybe into the 14s, but you're also getting kind of cute. 
here. It's still at 1290. So, you know, it could be a 10% rally from here. Sure. But any, any, any strength I'd be selling into, um, you know, but, you know, ultimately comes down to just finding a, a way to get out and move on from this type of name and this type of environment. Thanks for the call. Let's go to Robert in San Leandro. Let's talk about SLV Silver. Hey, yeah. Hi, Justin. I got a quick question. I want your analysis on SLV on the monthly charts, on the quarterly charts. They look, well, actually, it looks great. That yearly chart, uh, it makes me nervous. I, what do you see in SLV? And then the last thing, I haven't been in a bull market where precious metals are just booming, going up. And so this is my first time, mm-hmm. you know, contemplating, okay, when is the good time to get in? So I'd like to know your analysis of SLV. Yeah, well, longer term, it is in what we call a, a bull flag pattern. It moved up strongly in late 2019 and has been really consolidating uh, ever since. Now, uh, you look on a yearly chart, it's in a downtrend, but uh, on a monthly, it has broken out and really has is just retesting the 50-month uh, moving average. Uh, so nothing technically longer term uh, has has changed. Uh, you know, when it, it, they break out, you know, that's a lot has to do with the economic backdrop, um, the interest rates, obviously a stronger dollar, stronger, higher interest rates are typically a headwind for precious metals. Uh, and that's and what's interesting, though, is silver is kind of neutral, I think, on a, on a, on a, on a, a, a kind of a weekly chart. Um, gold is to me is still bullish on a, on a weekly chart. And they've held up very well considering higher real rates. And so, um, you know, I expect when the Fed pivots for this to to move. Um, so that's where I ex- I think fresh metals will move once the Fed uh, truly pivots to a more dovish stance. So, Justin, my last question. In prior bull markets, when the uh, Fed pivots, has it been a trigger for, like, silver, gold, or to just go boom? just rocket higher well gold over the long term you know you look for some 2000 it's done better than than equities uh so you know it but it goes through periods where uh the economy is relatively strong uh and that typically money is pulled out of safety uh names now i think recently there's been money that's been diverted from that typically would go into gold and, and put that into crypto now you're seeing the downside of crypto uh and i do expect uh, more interest uh in gold as a store of value now that it's pretty clear that crypto is more of a speculative asset than a store of value uh so i, I do think this is still a good time to be accumulating uh gold and silver and, and typically it breaks out and it's usually three, you know, quarter or two where the moves are made. Uh, and you can see what, what happened back in, uh, in for gold from about mid 2018 uh, into early 2020. Uh, that's that a huge run uh, over 50% uh, increase in the price of gold. And so uh, I expect that to happen at some point over the next uh, probably 18 to 24 months. You know, when that exact trigger is yet to be seen. Now, the next and best talk story behind this question. Has the Fed already created the next recession? 
One opinion frames the argument this way. The long-term structural issue is the fact that we grew the money supply by $6.5 trillion. So we're going to talk about that story tomorrow. But give me a call at 888-99-CHART. Let's say you've been thinking about learning a new language. Okay, why? I mean, how would it come in handy? And where would you want to use it? Could it be that you have an upcoming international trip? Or maybe you want to connect with family members or friends from a different culture. I think you should know about Rosetta Stone. With millions of users, it's been the world's most trusted language learning program for 30 years. Rosetta Stone is available on your desktop or as an app with audio companion and the ability to download lessons offline. Rosetta Stone truly immerses you in the language you want to learn. It has a built-in patented speech recognition engine called True Accent. So as you practice speaking, you'll get feedback on how well you pronounce words. With Rosetta Stone, you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. It's an intuitive process designed for long-term retention. You really learn to speak, listen, and think in your new language. Rosetta Stone is an amazing value. So your special skill set is within easy reach. You know you want to do this. So don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, InvestTalk listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off now at rosettastone.com slash today. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, Visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. The markets react to uncertainty. Are you prepared? Is your portfolio balanced? Is it optimized? Your financial future depends on the answers to those questions. Justin Klein is here now and ready to talk with you. Call InvestTalk, 888 888- 99 chart. Now, Steve and I have said many times that we appreciate our diverse Invest Talk audience. And in fact, we receive caller questions from across America and around the world. So let's take a question now, this time from an Invest Talk listener in Japan. This question is for Justin. This is Justin from Okinawa. Well, I'm not from Okinawa, but I moved here last week and I'll be here for three years. I have a question about the yen. Being so weak, the dollar being so strong, would it be a good idea to pull out a large amount of yen right now and just kind of have that for when the yen does recover and maybe the dollar dips as the stock market recovers and people get out of cash? Would it be a good idea to pull that yen out right now or does the yen have a little bumpy road ahead, do you think? I appreciate everything you guys do. Never miss an episode and I look forward to hearing your response. Thank you. Well, that's a great question. Really, what you're trying to do is uh, 
have a currency trade, right? You're trying to basically go long the yen now that uh, the yen is super cheap. And I do think that near term, uh, what you're seeing in the bond market is a bet that the yield curve control will uh, be changed a bit. Not that they won't institute it, but they're going to re- probably raise rates just a bit from 25 basis points now to maybe 50 basis points. It's kind of what the market's pricing in uh, because they can't just hold the peg and, and keep uh, the yen uh, just allowing it to kind of disintegrate lower. And it's a huge move in the yen over the past year because of the difference in what uh, the Japanese central bank is doing, which is keeping rates you know, 0.25% as opposed to our Fed raising rates. Now, I think, like I said, we're kind of near that inflection point on both, where I don't think the Fed is going to be as hawkish going forward. And I don't think the Japanese, the the Bank of Japan is going to be as uh, dovish, shall we say. And so I do think near term, we could see a a low in the yen fairly soon. The issue, though, longer term, this is my longer term issue with, with Japan, is that their demographics are terrible. They import the vast majority of their natural resources, think energy, right? And it's an island or a bunch of islands. Uh, And so it's very difficult for them to deal with expensive commodities. Uh, They don't like a lot of immigration. So their demographic situation makes their population and their, their economy much weaker. And so longer term, I worry a bit about uh, owning yen. Once again, near term, I think we're kind of an inflection point. I think we could see a rally in the yen, uh, but that would just be kind of a, a short to medium term trade. So hope that helps. Now, my focus point today is based on this question. Is the bear market a good thing for investors? And it's, it's always interesting that when times are good, when returns are great, I don't get clients calling up and saying, Things are too good. I want to sell. Never get that. Never get that. But when prices are down, some people freak out, even if they're doing way better than the market. Negative still negative. And people get emotional. And I get calls, sometimes wanting to sell. And... Oftentimes, I have to calm them down a bit. Now, a bear market, they always say it's 20% drop from the high. I always think that is a, who said it's 20%, right? Why isn't it 30%? Why isn't it 10%? Bear market is just a term, and it is subjective in my mind. Are we in a bear market? Certainly in tech stocks, I would say that. But there are still sectors of the market and many stocks that are holding up very well. Okay. Now, Grandpa always said, buy when there's sellers and sell when there's buyers. Now, typically, the average investor does the opposite. Little zigzag here and there, small pullbacks. Those are buy the dip opportunities. When you have larger pullbacks, that's when people get a little nervous. It's always odd to me. To me, what I'm doing 
is I'm looking for those opportunities. Companies that I said, I like this company. I just don't want to pay 20 times sales. I don't want to pay 30 times uh, EBITDA, right? Just valuations that a lot of companies in the market have been trading at over the past couple of years, just ridiculous valuations. And in my system, I can put, hey, if it gets down to this level, it gets down to this multiple, alert me, let me know. And then I'm, I've been starting to, over the past couple of weeks, I'm starting to get a lot of those alerts. Hey, remember this guy? It's getting down to your level or it's at your level. You should probably take a look at it. Doesn't mean you buy it right away. But know that there are opportunities presenting themselves in this environment. Now, can you pick the exact bottom? That's always difficult. Nobody's perfect at that. Some people have a good sense. I got a good sense last week. Very bearish sentiment, probably getting a bounce. How far that goes, a lot depends on policy, both on the fiscal and monetary side. But know that there are opportunities in this environment. There are babies being thrown out the bathwater. And so bear markets, you should be excited about. You should be finding ways to, hey, I want to put some money to work. How can I do that? Maybe it's drawing down my savings just a bit. Now, you still want to keep probably three, four months of living expenses in your savings account, invested in high yield savings account, hopefully. Now that high yield is getting a little bit better, probably get over one, about one and a half percent on uh, high yield savings accounts now, which is nice, still well, well below inflation, but better than the kind of zero you've been expecting. But the point here is that investing is a long game. And these are times where you can really make some smart decisions for yourself over the long term. Can you pick the bottom? No, don't expect to. But what you need to do is pull, this is the time to pull out your shopping list, pull out that watch list. Like we have a newsletter and this is something a lot of people say, oh, you have a newsletter, you should buy it. No, if it's in our newsletter, that's not, hey, you should buy it today. That's, hey, this is a good company. This should be on your watch list. You should be looking for a price to buy this company at. And if it gets to your price, you should buy it because it's a good company. Doesn't mean you buy that today. And honestly, the vast majority of the names that you're probably going to be looking at in your investing career, that's probably the takeaway you're going to have, especially if the market is doing relatively well, is that this is probably too expensive for its longer term prospects. But at X price, at X multiple, I want to buy it there. I think that's a that's a good valuation. Okay, so that's how you have to think about bear markets and be prepared in bear markets. That's how we prepare. We always have that watch list ready, and if something hits our level, find room for it in the portfolio. Now let's keep moving and go back to the Best Talk Voice Bank at eight 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 ninety nine chart. Hello, this is Duncan from New York, your biggest fan. This is probably one of the most important questions I'll, I'll probably ever ask for myself because I got a little nervous when the news came out with the SEC talking about making some changes in terms of some tradings that uh, might affect retail investors like me. I'm sure you're going to talk about it on the show, but in case you don't get this in time, uh, could you kind of go into that? I do not have Robinhood. I listened to your advice about switching over, so I have Fidelity. And 
I, I just was thinking about dollar cost averaging. Like now I would have to pay extra dollars on top of my trading. So just like uh, your two cents on that. Thank you very much and have a good day. Bye. Yeah, what he's talking about is SEC's proposed change to how the payment for order, payment for order flow system works and making it so that the average consumer is getting basically good fills on their orders. How payment for order, order flow works is that typically the brokerage firms are selling off that volume, market orders, which is most what most people put in for their orders, and they sell those off to Citadel and other um, high frequency trading companies, and they're skimming off the top, you know, half a cent, maybe a quarter of a cent, etc. Uh, oftentimes, not amounts that you really see, but you're paying them indirectly. It's not a line item like you saw in your brokerage statement before when you're paying four ninety five a trade, but you are paying that. And for smaller investors who are, are making small small trades, you know, a couple hundred dollars here, uh, you know, thousand dollars there, they don't feel it, and it is actually cheaper than paying a five dollar commission. But the SEC is trying to make this more transparent. I don't think that they're going to force the issue to the point where brokers are going to have to charge commissions again. What I do think, though, they will do is put some guardrails to limit how much they can make per trade so that they're still making some money. There's still that payment for order flow type of system. It's just not this unregulated thing where maybe they're skimming far more. You know, if you let it go, you know how these how businesses are. They try to raise profits and they try to find ways to squeeze more dollars out of the their their, their customer, which is you, the brokerage holder. Uh, and so that's where I think it'll go. I don't. Th and, and you're right. If it, if it does go back to charging commissions, dollar cost averaging, that would be an issue. But I don't think it actually gets there. But there will be more regulation. And that's why, you know, companies like Charles Schwab, I think they're going to have their profits probably squeezed as this goes along. And now that's why you've seen the pro the price of Charles Schwab's uh, uh, shares go from 96 all the way down to 62 over the past few months. And part of that's the market going down. But a big part of it is the threat of increased regulation. Now, if you're paying attention to the calendar, you know, summer has officially begun. It started yesterday, summer solstice, the longest day of the year. And keep in mind that the volatility in the markets means that you cannot take your eye off the ball. I know you want a summer break, but the market does not take a summer break. So you got to stay, stay paying attention every single day. So I think it's time to make it I'll make you aware of some of the benefits of working with myself and Steve Peasley at our company, KPP Financial, based in Irvine, California, where we practice parallel investing, which means we invest right alongside our clients, and we provide unbiased guidance both on and off air. So I encourage you to reach out for a free portfolio review assessment via telephone or go-to meeting. Just send us a message through investstock.com or call our KPP Financial office in Irvine, California, 800-557-557. 5461. We'd love to help you in any way. The sooner you contact us, the sooner we can help you get your portfolio optimized for this environment. Now let's head over to Ventura and talk with Offer, looking at a mutual fund. Yeah, there's a mutual fund. It's uh, 
I'm Morgan Stanley, Inception, and the symbol is M S S M X. Mary Sam Sam Mary X Ray. Mm-hmm. Okay. It and was you doing own it? well. Buy it? Yeah, I own it. It was doing well for a long time, and then it just took a tremendous hit this year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Morningstar gives it one star out of five, which is pretty bad. Uh, this is small cap growth. So once again, on the growth side of the market, not where you want to be. And that's why it's took, wow, what a massive hit. Um, I mean, this, wow. Oh my God. Now 53% this year. Jeez. Uh, so this is just a good example of how you, you can't just follow what the returns have been over the past year or two years. You have to really understand what's in the portfolio and whether it's going to it's going to thrive in this environment. And, you know, it's in a lot of biotech companies and, uh, and technology companies, 28% is healthcare, 34% is technology, 16% is consumer cyclicals, all sectors that do terrible in inflationary environments, only 1.7% in basic materials, only 3% in real estate, 0% in energy, 2% industrials. I would absolutely be selling this tomorrow. You are, it's going to continue to get destroyed in this inflationary environment. So I would 100% get out of this terrible fund, high fees. Uh, I know it did well during COVID, but you know now the times have changed, as we've spoke, spoken about many times on the show. So uh, I would absolutely sell it. Yeah, yeah, buddy. Uh, it, went, it made a new low, almost, almost like a 10-year low. I mean, yep. eventually it has, it'll have to bounce back. No, no, it does not have to come back. No, that's that's a big fallacy that a lot of people, oh, it used to trade at X and it has to come back. Absolutely not, especially a fund like this where you know there's uh, they just could make bad decisions on their portfolios and a lot of these companies could just go bankrupt and doesn't mean that they have to go back, right? You're in a firm holdings, which is uh, getting destroyed. That's 3% of the portfolio. Uh, most of the top 10 are in uh, biotech companies. Uh, just very, very overvalued names. It is not going to come back in a big, big way. Now, could you get a counter trend bounce near term and you know, get a nice uh, 20% rally uh, from where it's at today? Sure. Uh, but it's not getting back to those highs. Any, I don't think ever. Um, so don't expect that. I would sell it. Now, this is Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein, and we continue to have one goal here. Each and every weekday is help you achieve your own version of financial freedom, and our work continues after this final break. So get your questions in now at 888-99-CHART. This is Invest Talk. It's been another busy investor workday, and you have questions. The conversation now is all about dealing with market volatility while building your financial freedom. Justin Klein is here, and he's waiting for your call. 888-99-CHART. Now, recently, Jerome Powell has floated an increase of the Fed funds rate by 100 basis points, potentially, uh, but a lot will depend on economic numbers. And what's interesting is, despite the fact that he's floated that, the interest rates on the short term, or just most interest rates across the curve, have come down. And the reason, frankly, is that the bond market's calling the Fed's bluff here and saying, hey, you are actually going to see the economic figures moderate, especially on inflation, rather rather soon. Um, and nothing quantifies that, I think, better than shipping rates. And a lot of people have talked about cost of shipping, and it still is up 
about fourfold from where we are in June 2020. But remember, inflation figures aren't looking back to 2020. They're looking back a year. And freight rates from China to the U.S. are now at under 10,000, 9,585, down 34% from the start of the year and 50% at the same time last year. Now, the port of Los Angeles and Long Beach here, very close to me, the two biggest uh, import gateways in our country, they had a com handled a combined 936,000 containers last month. That's the highest volume since May 2020. So they're still accepting uh, a high amount of volume, but the backlog is not nearly as high. There's only about 22 ships waiting as of last week, and there were 109 uh, in January. So the backlog has certainly improved. Inbound container volume across the 10 largest U.S. ports have fallen on an average of 25% since May. So if you're looking at all of the, you know, the, the 10 largest ports, uh, volume is, is certainly down. Now a lot of that has to do with vendors are cutting orders. I see that with private companies that you know I've, I have uh, you know business owners, and they have products that are sold in places like Target, and what they've done is now cut their inventory, uh, number of weeks of inventory that they want to have on hand. It was 12, they cut it to six. So that was just for one particular company that I'm, uh, you know, kind of involved with. And, you know, so that means they're ordering less from their manufacturers in China. And that's what's driving a lot of this lower, uh, you know, these lower shipping rates. So just going to show you that that is going to feed in the economy. The, the slower economy is certainly dr going to drive down uh, inflation. Now, where does it level off at? We'll see, but it's certainly not going to stay around 8% like we're at now. All right. Now, next, I want to shift over to the crypto markets, and I want to try to simplify what's happening in the crypto market. You know, the ethos of crypto was to get away from the massive money printing from the central bank, bailouts, uh, and make it so it's an uncorruptible monetary asset. And that's the ethos of Bitcoin. The problem is, is that DeFi, decentralized finance, has capitalized on the narrative and the hopes of innovation when it comes to crypto but layered on the same types of fraud and leverage that often is very common in our financial system today. And what you're seeing now is an implosion of the DeFi space. And there's this thing called base money, base money. Remember when you're borrowing money from a, a traditional bank, there's reserves. Reserves are base money. And then there's money created. Most of the money, people don't realize this, most of the money in our economy isn't created by the Fed. Like we say, oh, the Fed's creating all this money. Well, they are. But in a normal economy, who's creating money? Banks are creating money. They have reserves. They lend it out. They're lending a lot more than their reserves. So you have a reserve requirement. Okay. So what's happening in the crypto space is the same type of thing. There was lots of quote-unquote assets backed by quote-unquote something and there was this amount of leverage in the system that was built up. But there's nobody there to kind of backstop the system like there is with a central bank. So 
it's plagued with the same types of problems as an unregulated financial system before a central bank. And what's going to happen now with crypto is it's going to collapse down to its base money. All the leverage is going to be cleared out and it's going to go into a long, long, long crypto winter. And you probably will forget about it for a long period of time and eventually they'll come back and maybe, it, you know, Bitcoin survives because it's doesn't have any reason to be corrupted because it's not controlled by a particular person, right? So I think that could survive, but probably from a lot lower levels uh, and be forgotten for a long time. Kind of like Beanie Babies. That's why I think of NFTs. They're like Beanie Babies. Beanie Babies. Well, that about does it. I'm Justin Klein. This completes another Invest Talk program. Steve Peasley and I thank you for listening. And we encourage you to tell your friends and family about our free podcast downloads. Our official Invest Talk download count has now exceeded 42.5 million thanks to you. So get your Invest Talk podcast anytime at iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, and be sure to rate and review. Independent thinking, shared success. This is Invest Talk. Good night. Invest Talk is a trademark of KPP Financial. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them. Specifically, nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice, or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell security. Because such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis, and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. 